one of the things Amazon has is customer trust. Customers believe that when they buy something on Amazon, they'll receive that item. And if for some reason they don't, or it's in bad condition, or if it's the wrong thing, they'll get a quick refund. And so that makes people confident about buying on Amazon. All of us, anyone who's a seller, wants that confidence to remain. Hello, and welcome to the Ecom Ops Podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strappler, the CEO of SingSpider. Hello and welcome to another Ecom Ops podcast. Today I'm talking to Leslie from Riverband Consulting. That's really a, a very amazing uh, team of Amazon experts and um, even including former Amazon employees. So wow, that's that's hot. Um, Leslie, tell me a bit more about yourself and what you do and how you came into e-commerce. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. So I've been an Amazon seller myself since about 2010. So quite a long time in the Amazon world. Um, oh, yeah. For the last, yeah, <laughs> for the last five years, I've been co-founder of Riverbend Consulting. I oversee our service team. So a lot of what we do is help Amazon sellers solve problems with Amazon. A lot of those problems are account suspensions, ASIN suspensions, and other FBA issues. Oh, wow. So this is, a, I, I know to deal with Amazon. Yeah. Because I, I often have contact with them because of the integrations. And I know this is a really hard, hard stuff. What are you doing here? Uh, what was the impetus behind uh, creation of Riverband? Why did you founded that? Several years ago in the Amazon space, there wasn't a lot of outside help. And Amazon sends these performance notifications and they open these cases And it's all written in a language none of us understand, which is Amazonian. It doesn't matter if your native tongue is English or some other language. It, Amazonian still has to be deciphered. Um, so it really, a lot of sellers out there still need help just understanding what Amazon's trying to ask of them. Now, also, Amazon has a huge risk management structure in place inside their organization. Part of that is for legal reasons and and uh, legislative reasons. And then part of it is just to protect Amazon and protect the buyers. And because of that, they don't give a lot of information out to sellers. They'll say, oh, your account's suspended for reasons. And then you have to try and figure out what those reasons are. Um, so you really need someone who has the background and has some experience dealing with these things sometimes to even explain what Amazon wants from you. Oh, yeah. Um What are such reasons typically? Why get why get accounts suspended? So right now, the biggest reason we're seeing for account suspension is linked accounts. And that's where you open a new account and maybe you had an account that was suspended in the past. And so you're not allowed to have a new account on Amazon. Or maybe someone you used to live with, a friend, a relative, a spouse, um, has an account that's suspended. And then you try and open an account There's so many reasons you get linked to bad actors. And when they link you to a bad actor, they take you down. There's also so many suspensions right now for retail drop shipping, which they do not allow folks mm -hmm. to do, and other code of conduct and review manipulation. So the things we're seeing right now are some deep house cleaning by Amazon trying to get rid of who they see as the bad actors on the platform. 
And do you find this uh, good for the anti-Amazon market, what they are doing at the moment? And does Amazon hit a lot of people that are innocent, actually? They do. So it's very positive and important that Amazon does suspend accounts. It shouldn't be on the platform because one of the things Amazon has is customer trust, yeah. right? Customers believe that when they buy something on Amazon, they'll receive that item. And if for some reason they don't, or it's in bad condition, or if it's the wrong thing, they'll get a quick refund. And so that makes people confident about buying on Amazon. All of us, anyone who's a seller wants that confidence to remain. So you definitely want them throwing the bad actors off the platform. Unfortunately, a lot of the suspensions happen because of artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and also because of investigators who are just overworked. And so they're running through information really fast. So there are a lot of false positives. There are a lot of suspensions when people didn't do it. And then I've got a lot of clients who they did it, but they didn't mean to. They did something wrong, but they didn't understand the rules or they really weren't doing something horrid. They just made some mistakes. And Amazon does believe in second chances, especially for that last group of people. So that's where we come in to convince Amazon, hey, I did something wrong, but I'm not a bad actor. Let me sell again. And do you act when you talk for your customers? Do you act as the customer? Or do you act as a consultancy firm and say you are, this is a mandate of yours and, uh, and you're working for them and talk with Amazon? So is there another layer or is there a cheated direct conversation? So we don't uh, communicate directly to mm -hmm. Amazon for any of our clients because Amazon will not talk about an account to a third party. Okay. And if you lie to them and say you're that third party, you know, that's somewhere we don't want to go. I know some people do it, but we won't do it. Um, so what we do is we coach our clients and we give them all the information they need to communicate with Amazon down to if you're sending an email, what's the subject line? Um, what kind of documents do you need to attach? Some of our clients need operational help because they've made mistakes and they don't understand how to make it better. Mm -hmm. So we talk to them about new processes and help them build out new processes and ideas so that they can send a true plan of action. That's what they really are doing to fix the problem. And we just are a facilitator. We help them know where to send it at Amazon, what to explain and what to ask for. Okay. Thank you very much. That's very interesting. What rules should uh, e-commerce businesses most look, like, uh, look out um, to, to avoid suspensions? So for honest sellers and good sellers out there, the number one problem is product quality. Yeah. So, you know, people think they, there's a lot of assumptions made by sellers and by brands. They think that just because they box something up and ship it to the Amazon Fulfillment Center, it's mm -hmm. going to arrive in beautiful condition to the buyer. And that doesn't always happen. Um, sometimes your packaging isn't good enough to withstand shipping to the fulfillment center and then shipping to the customer. Or maybe you use a box weight that's flimsy or you don't have any dunnage or bubble wrap. There's so many ways that products can get broken, damaged. The packaging can look gnarly. And when people receive those items, they say, this isn't new. This is garbage. That's actually the number one reason people get ASINs suspended, individual items suspended. And then if you get enough of those, your account can go down. Okay, got it. Got it. Um, I mean, there are for sure a lot of very easy um, ways to 
go back if it's not a big problem and uh, just a good communication, as I said, second chances, um, Amazon gives them, which is really great. But there are maybe really complex ones. What was the most complex one that you ever worked on? How long did it take you to recover them? Oh, goodness. We have so many clients who really bad things have happened to them. <laughs> um, I, I've had clients who their products have caught on fire um, when being used by sellers. Um, some of the most... And those are difficult. They run on for a really long time. You have to get all new testing. You have to prove that you're not a bad actor. Uh, there was a kitchen blowtorch um, that I worked on. There was also a seat warmer that plugged into the cigarette lighter of a car that engulfed the car in flames. So, you know, these are, oh yeah. So these are very challenging. Um, as far as accounts, review manipulation is really tough. Yeah. And we have clients who have made some missteps by having friends and family write reviews, but then also been attacked by a competitor at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so when a competitor attacks you with review manipulation, what they might do is they might say, set up a Facebook group and give away free products of yours. Or they might, um, they might uh, buy a lot of positive reviews even for your products. It makes it look like you went and bought positive reviews of your product. Oh, really? So People are doing this so to, to get against the competitor. You're buying good reviews, let them write on Amazon at your competitor, and Amazon will then block the account and suspend it, although you don't even did anything about this good review. Exactly. And I think people assume competitors always buy bad reviews, which they do. They will also buy a lot of good reviews that come in really fast. So the algorithm at Amazon says, obviously, this person bought reviews and they're manipulating the platform. I had one client who was attacked by a competitor like that and they did get friends and family reviews at the same time. So then when we went to Amazon and said, this is a competitor attack, they didn't believe us because there were friends and family reviews, right? So they assumed <laughs> if you did the one bad thing, you did the other bad thing. But, but how can you approve that it's a competitor attack? How can you do that? I mean, you can purchase good reviews and send it to your competitor. And uh, how, how can you approve that you didn't have done this? You really can't. Um, it comes down to throwing yourself on their mercy, trying to show you have a good record over time, creating a really solid plan of action of how you will make sure no one in your company ever does the bad things again, and uh, begging and pleading. And so that particular case, because you asked, you know, what's taken a really long time. I think that took six or seven months. And wow. it's because we went to multiple executives at Amazon and said, please believe us. You know, we have staff, we have products, private label products. We love Amazon. We did make a mistake, but we didn't do this thing over here. We think we know who did it. You know, told them who we thought the competitor was and why. And eventually someone had mercy on my client. And really, that's the only explanation I have. We did a great buttoned up plan of action, everything Amazon could want, but I think someone just had mercy. What I have seen in terms of suspension was we do a lot of synchronizations with Amazon from some um, vendors that are starting selling there and have some general products, let's say, 
play uh, games with brands like Playmobil or Lego or something like that. And, and then you get suspended for brand usage and you need to just confirm that this brand, you are allowed to sell this brand and you're allowed to, um, and you have a, a business relationship with the brand. So this is what I have seen so far. And this is, I think, a week or so, and then you're free again. But what I've seen is that um, when they block you, the API limits go down to the lowest level. And when they, uh, and even if you had been a higher level already, and then they enable you again, and I, I have the feeling that the API limit starts again from scratch. This, this is what what I've seen so far. Do you experience the same, or is this something you don't do not monitor? So there are some challenges when you get reinstated. Yeah. Um, several, in fact, one is that your account is actually being monitored more closely mm-hmm. for at least ninety days and probably one hundred and eighty days. So even customer complaints that in the past wouldn't have taken you down can take you down faster. If you're in the wake of a reinstatement, also, I would not be surprised to see that IPI limits went down um, with suspension. And of course, the most difficult thing for some clients, um, especially private label sellers, is that they will lose their bestseller rank. So let's say you're, you go down or even just a product goes down for three, four or five weeks. You have to get new testing. You didn't have the right documents. God forbid you forge documents and it takes me two two, three months to get you back. Um, you're losing your bestseller rank that entire time and making that up can be very expensive and difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fully get that. Now, when you are suspended, uh, Amazon requires a plan of action to, to get uh, re-enabled again, or mostly they need that. What constitutes a, a good POA? What is that? What do I need to write there? Or what do they really want? Because I think a lot of people do not understand how to write that correctly. So the most important thing to know is it needs to be real. Don't just go find a template out there because Amazon actually uses artificial intelligence now to detect plans of action that are repetitive to prior plans submitted. So if there's a service out there selling a bunch of templates, they've seen it and they know it and they're going to catch that and they're going to say, this isn't really your plan of action. Tell me what you're really going to do, please. Um, Secondly, it needs to be short and to the point. Some people write a, a, an essay <laughs> and the investigators just don't have time to read that. They've got about five minutes to spend on you, literally five minutes. So they cannot read something long. It needs to be bullet points to the point. You have to take responsibility, even if, and this is the painful part for so many folks, even if you didn't do the thing, you have to find a way to take responsibility for the thing, right? So even if it's that Amazon is shipping your glass items in a padded envelope from the FBA warehouse, and that's why they're all broken, you need to take responsibility because you know what? You should have packaged it better for FBA, or you should have tried to get different packaging guidance at FBA. You've got to take responsibility, even if it's not really your fault. And then there's three parts that they want to see. Number one is you describe the root cause. So what is the reason the bad thing happened? And and again, that's a good place to take responsibility. Um, Number two is what you've done to address the complaints. So in real time, how did you fix what went wrong like right now? How did you make it up to the customer? How did you fix it for Amazon? And then finally, how will you prevent this from ever happening again? That's really the meat and potatoes where you have to have some dates, 
say, I fixed this system on this date. We are now doing it this way. Not I'm gonna, not, oh, we're going to make sure we do this thing better, but how I fixed it now and it's never going to happen again. Good. And now we know uh, what we should do, but what should we not do if Amazon requests a POA from us? Never blame Amazon, even if it's their fault. Never, <laughs> ever, ever. Um, I have written literally thousands of appeals, multiple thousands of appeals and escalations. And the number of times I have blamed Amazon, I could probably count on my fingers and toes. And it was for really serious reasons where there were really bad things being done inside of Amazon that were unusual. So you cannot ever blame Amazon. You cannot just blame one person in your organization or a vendor. You hired that person in your organization. You hired the vendor. You didn't supervise them properly, maybe. That's what Amazon would say. They would say, you should have supervised. You should have had rules. You should have been watching, right? So a lot of the things not to do are around blame. And then finally, don't ask Amazon why you were suspended. They really okay. hate that. Um, so a lot of people, they get the notice and they're like, oh, I don't understand why I'm suspended. That just makes them mad because they're thinking, it's your business. You need to go investigate and figure it out. Look at the data in your account. Get some help. Do something, but don't ask us. Never ask them. You're just wasting a chance to appeal. Okay, very interesting. Well, I, of course, want to know why I'm suspended, but it depends a bit about the account history. So you might see it if the account history is too is big enough and, and you see the points coming in, then I think you have, yeah, right. You could see that. But sometimes I think it's important to know Do you sometimes ask them or do you see it right away when you talk to customers? So they do have account health um, that you can call and you can ask them some questions about why you're suspended. For someone like me and my team, I mean, we can tell. If we look at the notification from Amazon and we look through the data in your account, we know pretty quickly why you were suspended almost every time. There are some times where it's less clear That's in the case of like, like the review manipulation we talked about, where a bad actor does something that's invisible to you. How would you know this, right? Yes. But yes. we can deduce some things. We can look at your reviews and say, how did you get like 200 great reviews over a weekend? You know, <laughs> so there, there's investigation we can do to help clients figure it out. Um, if a client is really lost or if someone who's suspended is really lost, I would suggest trying account health, seeing if they will give you some clues, but never put in writing. I don't understand why I was suspended. Never have that be something you send back when they've asked a plan of action. That's something to try and see if account health will give you some information on the phone. Okay, that is good. That is a good, really good hint. Um, to some, Amazon is an easy get rich quick scheme. Yeah? <laughs> What's your take on that? Oh, that's just my favorite. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday about yeah. all of those videos out there of like the guy driving the Ferrari with his expensive watch and he goes to his big house and he's like, I got all this on Amazon in three months, you know? And also yeah, the, the, these are the, the coaches' videos as well for the online marketers and the we put your e-commerce on autopilot and you will never have so much and the old driver... Ferrari, a Porsche, uh, and they are in the car recording themselves while driving. I even <laughs> saw recently one where they went from the from the car to a helicopter. <laughs> I mean, 
seriously 25 years old consultant, yeah, filming himself going from the car, I think it was Porsche to a helicopter. I love them. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, and you're right. They all say it's like, you never have to work again. And it's four hour work week. Um, as someone who's been in the Amazon world for 12 years, I can tell you that doesn't really exist and it's not sustainable. And the get rich quick schemes, a lot of times are actually things that are breaking policy on Amazon. So a lot of the get rich quick right now is about retail drop shipping and retail drop shipping is not allowed. That's where you, um, you list items that are actually in retail stores. And then when the, when the order comes in, you fulfill it by ordering it for that person at the retail store. So you see a lot of Home Depot and Walmart and even Amazon uh, drop shipping. Amazon's gotten really good at detecting that. And here's why you don't want to do it. When they figure out your retail drop shipping, they hold your funds permanently. You will not get them back. So a lot of drop shippers, um, their margins are really small. So whatever they've got in their account for that two weeks, Amazon's never giving it back. You could end up losing money for the entire time you've been running the business, right? Um, very dangerous. Real sustainable Amazon businesses require work just like any other business. Now, is it more flexible? Yes. Uh, can you decide when to work? Absolutely. All of that is true, but you still have to have standard operating procedures. You still have to have an accountant and, and balance your books. And you still have to work with your suppliers. I mean, it takes time. And the harder you work, the more money you make. Yeah. And I can fully underline that as well. I've seen so many businesses succeeding really good on Amazon, really um, increased their, their turnaround, their revenue by just starting on Amazon with products they anyway have in their e-commerce store um, or in their retail store um, and just got the additional audience. And I think that even the commissions you pay for Amazon are fair because when you do online marketing for your web shop, and people coming to you directly, buying from you directly, I think you invest for a new customer even more than those 15% um, that you need to give to Amazon. That's an interesting thing is that you have really a, a huge audience and people can find you um, while searching something else and just make a purchase on your products. And I think this is a good chance to, to do the initial growth that you might need for your company. Completely agreed. People underestimate the cost of online advertising. Like if you set up your own Shopify store and you try and advertise your brand to get people to find you and actually purchase from you and trust you and your product, it's really tough. It happens. There are some people able to do it, but they have big advertising budgets and they're backed by investor money usually or debt. Um, with Amazon, you can launch a product on there, do some PPC advertising and start driving sales. Now, is it easy? No, you've got a lot of competition, but there is that built-in market of hundreds of millions of potential customers who are on the site. Many of them are on the site every day. Yeah, absolutely. Number one product search engine worldwide. This is really a very, very interesting channel. I mean, this is the one part where they uh, are better than Google for, for searching. Yeah, when it comes to product search, they're starting, you're starting on Amazon and not on Google. And, and that's, um, that's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a bit about automation. You're consulting a lot of your, um, customers. I think how important is automation? Like, uh, 
automated stock and price updates regard to Amazon or automated um, sending the, the orders to the fulfillment center if you're FBM. Um, how important do you see those kind of automations and integrations? So a lot of it is really based on the kind of seller you want to be. If you're a small mom and pop seller, you just want to sell a few items a day, you're working out of your basement, you know, you can get away with not having and not investing in repricers and not investing in shipping software. You can avoid all of those costs, but you're going to be doing the work yourself. It's going to be your own two hands going in, checking all of your listings, comparing to the other prices, seeing if you want to raise or lower your price, um, going in and using Amazon shipping and printing out the shipping. I mean, there's a lot of work involved. So if you're small, that makes sense. Why would you buy expensive solutions? If you want to scale, it's like any other business. You really have to start investing. And there are some great solutions out there that pay for themselves. Um, there's even reprice for software for private label brands where they help you to maximize your margins and change the pricing based on how much stock you have available in the warehouse and what the demand looks like for your product. You know, so if you're really smart about it, there are solutions out there that will actually pay for themselves and save you a lot of headaches. That's a good hint. Thank you very much. Really cool. Last question for the day. Who has taught you the most about e-commerce in your career? Oh, wow. That's a great question. There are so many smart people in this field. Seriously, it's I love the entrepreneurial mindset of people who sell on Amazon and also all the service providers on Amazon. It's really people willing to jump on something new. Um, but probably the person I've learned the most from is my business partner, Joe Zalta. He is a good-sized Amazon seller um, and has been for several years. And he has a background in retail and merchandising and brand building. Whereas my background is more in being a service provider and consulting and, and some marketing consulting as well. So he's got that really strong product and brick and mortar experience that I do not have. And it has really helped me to better understand the problems of the sellers that we work with in, in a holistic way, instead of just in a, oh, let's fix this little operational thing way. Um, because he's dealing with logistics and product issues every single day. So it's really nice to have, uh, and both of us, since we're both sellers, it's really great to have a business partner in this service business that we also each have our own gig going on Amazon. We can really learn a lot from each other and see how the bus different business models work. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. It was really a pleasure talking to you and to learn so much about these Amazon suspensions and, and how to deal with that correctly. So not to ask him, what did I do wrong? Find it out yourself. I think this is really a worthwhile tip because once you get suspended, I think the first question could be like that. And in the written email, this could be a problem. So yeah, call them, call the, the Amazon service. And how did you call it? Amazon Health? Amazon account health, just call them, ask them, and, and don't write them about what you did wrong. Uh, maybe they can give you the tip if you don't really don't know it, but most probably you might know it. Uh, and yeah, take a consultancy if you really want to get back fast and uh, talk to Leslie. Thank you so much. It was a great talk. And if you liked it, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Thank you very much. Talk soon. Bye-bye. And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. 
If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for EcomOps Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time. 